to embark on a journey into Romans, number one, is no light task. I feel like um, several years ago we spoke through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians. Um, and I feel like maybe that I wasn't ready as a, as a believer or a pastor to preach through that. And Ephesians is so rich that I felt this overwhelming need to, like, do it again. Um, but what I think we're going to find is, is that there are some concurrent themes in Romans and in the other letters, the other letters in the New Testament, and really even uh, the Gospels uh, and the Old Testament that will help us to um, backtrack uh, in, a, in, in a sense, by moving forward. Um, I'm excited, and I hope you are. Um, I'm excited because of the prospects of starting something new, but also the prospects of preaching and teaching through and learning from a letter that is so rich and so full and so important to the life of every believer. So we're going to start today our new series into Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. The letter to the Romans is one of the most significant works in all of the Bible. And therefore, I don't say this uh, in a hyperbolic sort of way. It is one of the most significant compositions in all of history. Paul is writing to a church full of Jewish and Gentile Christians. He is writing for the sake of promoting unity amongst these believers. He knew how drastically important Rome was to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Specifically, Paul later notes uh, in Romans 15 that he wanted to use Romans as a Rome as sort of a base for sharing the gospel into Spain. So he wanted to use Rome as a base for reaching the rest of the world. Rome, Romans is rich and it's full of teaching and teachings and commands for God's people in the first century church. But guess what? It is also full of teachings and commands for God's people today and tomorrow. So what we will do over the next several uh, years is take a take a deep dive into this invaluable work. It is it is going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take maturity on your part and my part, understanding. Because the truth is, if we spent every week for the rest of our lives just going through Romans, then we would have everything that we needed to that pertains to life. And godliness. If we never left the book of Romans, we could have enough to adequately live, not even adequately, to live abundant lives as Christians. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take maturity from us. But we will come out of this different people if we allow the Lord to use us in this series. The letter to the church at Rome is robust. It is full. And folks, I hope, like me, you plan to devour every morsel. Drink 
every last drop to the glory of Jesus. Romans is often revered as one of the most important works of the Christian life, not just by me saying it to you this morning, but by many others. Martin Luther said, This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. Now, Martin Luther probably did that thing where he's like, this is, my, this is one of my favorite verses like I do to you. This is one of my favorite verses. It just happens to be every verse. But um, the, this epistle, sorry, I got distracted. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. And is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, by heart, but occupy himself with it every day. As the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. The Acts of the Apostles said this, The same light has guided thousands of sin-burdened souls to the true source of pardon and peace. For the epistle to the church at Rome, excuse me, every Christian has reason to thank God. Dr. Derek Thomas said this on Romans. Paul knew the best way to keep false teaching out of the church was to teach the truth. The best antiseptic against the infection of false teaching is the truth. Romans is the rubbing alcohol and the neosporin for the church. It is the tussin for the church. I would like us to be so changed by the book of Romans. So changed by the book of Romans that... As we study this book, we lose recognition of who we were at the beginning of this study and pursue who we want to be in Christ. Will you do me a favor? Because I think it's, a, I think it's invaluable to do again. And I know Melissa read it already, but I just want to read Romans, this introduction, Romans 1 verses 1 through 7. And I'll just let you know as we are going through this, I'll probably reread every time. Uh, just because we're going to go through such small sections, it won't take nearly as much time. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who has descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me this morning. Lord, that we today and forevermore would be ever changed by your word. That we would be so impacted by the work of the gospel of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, and continued in the Holy Spirit, that we would look back a year from now and see a different, a completely different person than who we are at that point. Lord, 
today if we have never trusted in you on this level. Help us to trust in you and believe in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be changed forevermore by the sweet words of faith. Help us to soak up your gospel, to be so impacted that our lives never go back to who we were before. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to give you just a brief introduction from Romans chapter 1, 1 through 7. A normal pastor brief, not a Bryce brief introduction into Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And there's two, uh, there's two little thoughts that I want to kind of guide our study today. And the first is I want us to look at the author of Romans. The author of Romans. Um, the Holy Spirit. But other than the Holy Spirit, the author of Romans, the one who actually penned it, is Paul. It's pretty clear as we open the book of Romans, chapter 1, the first word is what? Paul. He's saying, hey guys, it's me, Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The author of the book of Romans was the apostle Paul. This has been disputed over time by some people because as we have seen, stupidity is not just a luxury we deal with in our generation. It's a luxury that every generation deals with. By the second century though, the early second century, really probably sooner, the church had definitively accepted Pauline authorship and apostleship. And anyone who debates this is just a fool looking to make a fight. Now, what, we do, what do we know about Paul? Paul was born Saul of Tarsus. He was named, of course, after King Saul. He was a Pharisee, and his father was a Pharisee. Now, Tarsus, Paul's hometown, was one of the biggest trade centers at the time. It was known for its large university. Paul was well-educated, probably not only in Jewish, uh, a Jewish education, but also in a Roman or a sort of Hellenistic education. He was educated at the school of, uh, I, always, I, always, I might botch this, but if, you, if I do, just go ahead, um, Gamaliel, yeah, that's it, who was an early first century uh, head of the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin was the Jewish court system. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was also known for something else, not only being studied, not only being a Pharisee, uh, not only being, uh, which I didn't mention, but of the bloodline of Herod. He was a vile persecutor of Christians. It was noted uh, by early historians that Paul laid waste to the church, or Saul laid waste to the church. Luke builds up a picture of Saul as a rampaging wild beast. Saul was in charge of a group that was responsible for rounding up Jewish Christians to be tried and often martyred or at least imprisoned. He would have spent the rest of his life fighting against the faith. It is at that time we think about where Saul was and where Paul is and we remember, we remember the big but from Ephesians. But God. 
but God. God stepped in. Acts 9 records Paul's conversion. Saul is traveling to Damascus around midday, and he and his companions see a great light from heaven. It's flashing around him, and voices are speaking to him. The voice from heaven asking him, do you remember? Saul, Saul, what? Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Then the voice from heaven informed him that he was Jesus of Nazareth. And it was at that moment that Paul knew that he had messed up. Or Saul knew that he had messed up. His world turned upside down. To that point, he thought that he was doing the work of the Lord. He thought that he was doing the work of the Lord. That he had been faithfully serving God. But in his haste for religion, he had done the work of of destroying the very thing that he had hoped to preserve. Now you can read the rest of the story uh, yourself in Acts 9, and we'll learn a little bit more of that in the, Paul's letter to the Romans. But Saul was blinded by the light, and he was converted that day by the words of Jesus. He spent the next three years or so studying and learning and developing relationships with the very people that he had been trying to kill. The man that rose from that was one of the greatest theologians to ever live. Christ changed Saul that day. He went from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And he spent the rest of his life, the rest of his life, moving and reforming towards Jesus And doing the best he could to bring others down that same path. And in his introduction, Paul lays out what salvation through Christ will produce in a person. We see three aspects that he mentions here. And I'm not going to go into them in detail because we will spend the next few sermons going over these concepts. But Paul points out three things which I want you to note right now. Paul points out three things that he sees as significant for someone who belongs to Christ. Someone who goes through such a drastic conversion. And I don't think I need to mention this to you, but I'm going to mention it just in case. Paul's conversion, although it seems like he went from being, he did go from being a vile sinner to a a follower of Jesus, it is not His conversion is not so much unlike ours. If we look at Saul converting to Paul and say, man, that is crazy. And we don't see the depravity in our own soul, the depravity in our own heart, and the depths with which God stooped to save us, we're missing the point. But Paul points out three aspects of a life that has been impacted and changed so greatly by the work of Jesus. These three are important, so I want you to write them down. They're found in verse 1. He says what? He says, Paul, a what? A servant. A servant of Christ Jesus. The first thing that I think Paul points out to us that is vastly important is that Saul went from Paul because went to Paul because he saw himself as a slave to Jesus. 
No longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to religious deeds. Not a slave to his past. Not a slave to whom he was going to be. What his future had lined up for him. Or what someone else told him he was. But a slave, a servant to Jesus Christ. Saul became Paul because he knew that his life was no longer his but it belonged to Christ. No longer a slave to the flesh. No longer a murderer of Christians. A persecutor of his brothers. But free. Free to live as Christ had prescribed. Paul points out that one of the true aspects of a product, one of the true products of belonging to Christ is being a servant to Christ. What is the second? He said, Paul an apostle, or Paul a servant of Christ, called, called. Friends, I want you to know that the book of Romans, the letter to the church at Rome, is full of this idea that you cannot be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit draws you unto God. It is impossible. It is impossible to come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you unto himself. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It should bring, that idea should bring fear to those who don't belong to Jesus, but it should bring the greatest comfort ever to those who belong to Jesus. Because if you belong to Jesus, that means that the Holy Spirit has stepped out and he has called you to God Himself, He has established the Word of God in your life. It should give you all the confidence in the world. Because if I am trusting and if I am leaning on the fact that I am Bryce, a servant of Jesus Christ, called by my own good works or by my own volition or by my own self or by my own help, called by the, the moment I decided to change for Jesus, then my whole thought process goes to, I am also able to be pulled away. But if my thought process is this, I am Bryce, a servant of Jesus, called by the Spirit of God, then nothing can separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, in the work of the Holy Spirit, in the calling beforehand of the Father. Friends, the reason that Reformed theology, the reason that seeing the gospel as Paul did is so important is because we slowly eliminate ourselves out of the equation. And when you do that, friends, the truth of the matter is there is a much better Savior than yourself. There is a much better reformer of a life than just yourself. And it is done with a great and a greater and stronger power than you can produce out of self-will, out of human ingenuity. Paul understood that he first, he was one of the first products of being, belonging to Christ was that he was a servant, that he was a slave to Christ, but also that it was an esteemed position. He was called. He was called from being a self-worshipper and called to being a Christ worshiper. And those products produce this third idea that Paul said he was set apart. Set apart for what? The gospel of Christ. The gospel of God through Christ. Now here's the deal, friends. You need to understand this. We understand 
on some level that we are set apart. We understand on some level that, that is, that's holiness. That's what holiness is. But friends, you need to know this. We are not set apart so that we can, so just so that we can live holy lives unto ourselves. We are not set apart just so that we can live holy lives within the church. Friends, we are set apart for the gospel of God so that the world may know that Christ lives in us, that He can live in you, and that the world can be changed by that hope and that hope alone, friends. What Paul meant was this. I have no power. There is no equivalent power. There is no equivalent authority. There is no equivalent notion that can save me but the gospel of God. And that's what sets me apart. Friends, the scary thing is there are a lot of people that occupy the chairs of church gatherings on Sunday that are set apart in different ways, but not by the gospel of God. There are a lot of people who are set apart because they look a little bit different. Because they've worked on some level of behavioral modification. They've tried to be a little bit more like Jesus in their own way, and their own form. They've tried to reform things in their life by their own power and their own will. But the truth, friends, is, and Paul lays it out here, and he'll lay it out pretty thoroughly through the next uh, few chapters that we're going to study. A Christian is not just set apart for the sake of being different. They're set apart for the gospel of God, which is, friends, our only hope in the world. There is no sufficient hope. There is no sufficient plan. There is no sufficient amount of money, no sufficient amount of time on earth, no marriage, no child, no grandchild. There is no sufficient thing that can be produced in this earth that is equivalent to the gospel of God. Friends, you don't have a problem in your life with trusting in the, the, um, the inerrancy of Scripture. You don't have a problem with trusting that Jesus is Savior. What we have a problem with in life is trusting in the sufficiency of the gospel for our day-to-day activities, our everyday life. And Paul said he set apart for the gospel of God. That means this, he is trusting in the sufficiency of the gospel to keep him a servant, to keep him called, and to keep him holy. Paul laid out just briefly for us in his introduction, just briefly for the church at Rome, what it looks like to be a product of a calling of God. I hope, friends, that our lives are modeled by these things. I hope that our lives are modeled by these three and more. So we see the author of the letter to the Romans is Paul. Paul is the author, obviously the Holy Spirit guiding the pen. But what is the message of the letter of Romans? What is the message? The church at Rome, friends, was a strange mix. The one thing we can find in that mix was Jewish and Gentile believers. So if you know historical context, you understand that there was almost naturally between Jewish and Gentile people going to be infighting or disagreement over maybe structure 
or history or hierarchy. We see these things uh, in the other Gospels. We see these things in Romans. And we see these things in the other epistles. We see these things in Romans itself. There was infighting over what we should eat and what we should not eat. There was infighting over what traditions to keep and what not, what traditions to, to whatever. Just imagine, friends, if in the American church we fight over the smallest, most insignificant details. There are church splits. There have been in history church splits over carpet color and drape color. Just imagine what it's like forming a whole new religious system with people that just a few years ago you were enemies with. You hated. You had nothing in common with. After all, the Gentiles saw the Jews as subhuman. They were the rejected of society. And they were even in subjection to Rome. So in Rome, this would have been an even bigger issue. To the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean. The Jews would even, after uh, interaction with Gentiles, they would even wash themselves before they worship or wash themselves before they eat before they eat. Before they eat it, that's good. Before they were eating because they considered the Gentiles unclean. The Gentiles were associated with idolatry. They were associated with the demonic. And now they are eating and worshiping together in the same houses. We can only imagine the dynamic. We also know that the church of Rome did not have apostolic origin. The church at Rome was started by a secondary or third source um, of gospel proclamation. Paul did not start the church of Rome. Peter did not start the church of Rome. There's no indication that the church of Rome was started from the, work, from the direct work of an apostle. So in this sense, Paul is writing a letter to explain how the gospel can heal division, but especially the division between Jew and Gentile. But he is also writing this letter to take some apostolic authority over the church of Rome. Honestly, I think we are in desperate need of the gospel always, but especially now of this message that Paul offered to the church at Rome, this message of gospel unification, of genuine love to believers. Because what we have found in our society is a society who believes in the unification from social causes. And the unification from political parties. Friends, if there's any hope that the world sees Jesus through us, we will take on the, we will take on the banner of the gospel and be unified together. I can tell you the book of Romans is littered with one thrust. And that is, if you believe the gospel and you believe the power of Jesus, then anything is possible. You are not bound to your circumstances, although they may be difficult. They may be hard to overcome. You are not bound to your circumstances. You are not bound to the path that your family has been on for generations. You can be a cycle breaker. You can change generational 
Um, you can have generational impact and change things that have been going on in your family for generations if you just believe the gospel. Just because your father or your grandfather was an alcoholic or was abusive doesn't mean that you have to go down that path. Just because your family was addicted to drugs, just because your family was poor, and I'm not trying to be Creflo Dollar here, but I do believe that the gospel brings physical prosperity to people because there's a mindset that changes. There's a mind, not because the gospel opens floods of, of, of gold to you or floods of dollar, but because the mindset of the person changes and they work harder and they pursue greater things. And prosperity is the natural result of that, oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes. You can break generational hindrances and you can change the lives of your family for future generations. Through the power of the gospel, friends, you can say, instead of saying, man, you know, this is the way it's always been. I've always been poor. My family, my father was awful. He left me, whatever, whatever. Instead of saying, I guess I have no hope in the world, through the gospel, you can say, it stops with me. And you can change. Not only you, but you can impact the person that you're going to marry or that you have married. You can impact your children and you can impact your grandchildren for generations through the power of the gospel. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message in Romans and it's the message throughout the, the New Testament. It's the message throughout the gospel that we know that starts at creation. That you don't have to be who you were. You can be who God wants you to be. But it is not through self-help it's not through your power or your might. It is by being a servant of God, called and set apart, believing in the power of the gospel as sufficient to change your life now and forever. You are not bound to your circumstances. You are not bound to the path that your family has been on. You are not bound to a doomed life. It may have been that way at one point. Friends, it was that way with Paul. Tell me the path that Paul was headed on before the gospel stepped in. What would have been different about his life? Nothing. Paul would have gone on and he would have, instead of being known as Paul the Apostle, he would have been Saul of Tarsus, the greatest persecutor of Christians to ever live. The demolisher of the Christian faith. The evil of evil. But God... Friends, if the gospel can step in and change Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle, there are no bounds to what it can do in your life. There are no bounds to what it can do in your life. Through Jesus and His gospel, anything is possible. And we can be who God wants us to be. That's what Paul tells us. But another thing Paul tells us, and this is scary, folks. Another thing Saul of Tarsus tells us, excuse me, though we might consider ourselves religious, we must be diligent to make sure that we are trusting in Jesus. Because if, like Paul, we could find out that we are fighting on the wrong team. See, Paul tells us that anything is possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul also tells us that if we are religious, we must be diligent to see that we are religious in the right way. 
that we are trusting in Jesus as our sufficiency. Anything is possible through Jesus. But just because we are religious doesn't mean that we are following Jesus. There are more themes that I cannot wait to bring to you through the gospel, uh, through the letter uh, to the church at Rome. These these are just to whet your appetite. These are some themes to just whet your appetite. The first, we are all sinners and, and no one seeks after God on his own volition. That's going to be exciting because we're going to start on that uh, soon. Uh, that the Mosaic law is good and it's holy, but only Christ can redeem us from our sins. And it is through his righteousness that uh, the righteousness of God that sin is judged and salvation is provided. These are themes that we see through Romans. We see in Romans that we are justified by faith. We see through Romans that salvation is a sure hope of those who belong to Jesus Christ. We see through Romans that God is sovereign in salvation. That he fulfills his promises to all of his people. Now these are just a few generic themes through the, through the letter to the church at Rome, but it's, they're really just the tip of the iceberg of what we can expect. In chapter 8, we see that we did not receive a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship to where we can cry, Abba. We can cry, Father. We also see in chapter 8 that all things work to the good of those who love Him and are, and are called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 1, we see that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans chapter 3, we see all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but He doesn't leave us hanging because in Romans 5, we see that we have been justified through faith and we have peace through God. And in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that we have a great debt of sin in Romans 6, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10 confirms that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 11 gives the confidence after salvation that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Romans 12, we are able to present our bodies as a living sacrifice because of that holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable acts of worship. This is the meat of the gospel of God, and I can't wait to, to dive in with you, and I hope you can either. Paul had to know how important this letter was. He had to know. He had to know that millions of lives would be changed. He had to feel the Spirit's presence as he was writing this because in Romans 10 he wrote, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. So as we dive in with eager expectation, we will trust in the Lord as our sufficient Savior as our hope, and that is the frame with which we will look at the rest of Romans. Jesus, our hope. Jesus, our sufficient Savior. Because friends, if you don't get that right, Romans, you will miss the point of Romans. You will also miss the point of sanctification. If you don't get Jesus as your sufficient Savior right, you will miss the point of sanctification. And you will think that sanctification is a list of do's and not a singular list of what Christ has done. And so like Paul, we trust in the great gospel which Paul describes here. The gospel of God. Look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand 
through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew something very clearly, friends, and you need to know this. And this is why I put so much emphasis on believing the Bible as it is spoken, believing in the created order, believing in creation like God has said. Paul knew... He wrote it in Ephesians, he writes it in Romans, that the gospel was not something that happened around the birth of Jesus. The gospel was God's plan from the beginning of time to redeem his people who had done nothing but run and done nothing but abandon him. The gospel is God's plan. The gospel is, you need to hear this, The gospel is the law in the Old Testament that points people to the holiness of God. Now, it's part of the gospel. But it's always been by faith that those people, not by the law, it's always been by faith that those people believed and trusted and were set apart. The gospel is all of the message leading up all of the types, all of the hopes, all of the images of Jesus. And then this. God, at the right time, sent his son to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He was convicted of crimes that he did not commit. He was brutally beaten and he was nailed on a cross. And although the people that day did not see it, the sins of the world were laid on his shoulder. But not only that, friends, the wrath of God was satisfied. He died on that cross that day. He was buried. He was fully dead. He was fully buried. And he rose again. And through his resurrection, he conquered sin. And he conquered death. He ascended into heaven, and he sits right now with the Father. And one day he will return. That is the gospel of God. And here's how it applies to you. You can allow Jesus to come into your life. You can receive the calling of God. You can be changed. You can allow the sin, your sin, the world's sin to stay on Jesus. You can allow the wrath of God to be on Jesus. You can follow him and trust him and live with him forever. Or, you can choose to hold on to your sin, you can choose to hold on to that wrath, and it will bury us in the depths of hell with all of those who did not believe. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. He is sufficient. He is enough. Paul proves that through the gospel of God, anything is possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you don't, the Christian life will be impossible. Reformation, sanctification, It will be impossible. But if you do, if you believe it, if you trust in it, 
And if you submit your life as a servant, as a one who is called, as one who is set apart, friends, Jesus will do great and mighty things in your life from the calling of God through the work of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Pray with me today. Lord, you are so good. And in your goodness, sometimes we take advantage or we take for granted what your work at the cross did. We take advantage or take for granted what the gospel means for us. Lord, it is a healthy and needed reminder for us always the power of the gospel. The effectiveness in the, war, in the life of believers. The effectiveness in those who are called, who are set apart, who are servants. Lord, would you teach us to trust you? Would you help us to trust in the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Pray and ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.